Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Every time we start a new chapter, it's almost like it's a, a brand new book, except it just continues to build, just continues to build. Have you ever watched a serial maybe on TV and you get right up to where it's so exciting and it says, to be continued? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That you almost have a letdown and yet it's a good thing. It's, you can't wait to see the next part. Well, hopefully you're going to feel that after the last message or felt that after the last message or feeling it today. But I can guarantee you when we finish, you're still going to have that feeling because he's building. He's building. And he's showing us, and the emphasis that he's trying to bring out is Jesus Christ, a superior high priest in heaven representing you and I, the God-man representing you and I. So I want to entitle today, as we start chapter 8, A Better Covenant. A Better Covenant, part 1. As we look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1, and we're going to read verse 6, but we're not really going to get into verse 6 until later. We have seen the, the superior priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ, far superior to the line of, of Aaron in the tribe of Levi, that the earth knew, that the Jews that he's writing to understood. These are believing Jews in this congregation that he's writing to, and they're being threatened and persecuted for being Christians, and they're about to go back to Judaism. The temple's still standing. The sacrifices are still being made while he's writing this, and he's saying, don't go back. That's the shadow. Stay where you are. He, Jesus, is the substance. He's superior in his priesthood. But he's superior in his order of, of Melchizedek. He's superior in his person. He's the God-man. Jesus Christ was and is, as verse 26 says of chapter 7, holy. I just want to grease back just a little bit and bring you right into the message today. He's holy. The word holy, remember, is the special word hosios, which means without blame. He is blameless. There's another word means separate and pure, but this is a little different word. It doesn't contradict. It just extends the meaning. He's innocent, which means that there was no propensity whatsoever within the God-man, the Lord Jesus, to ever even entertain sin, to ever be even tempted. There was nothing that could respond. But not only was he innocent, therefore he was undefiled. That's an outside word. In other words, there was no stain of sin upon him. He was separated from sinners. And this is so fascinating. He's human, and yet he's divine. Well, he's in a class all by himself. He was with us. He was among us. But he was not exactly like us. Yes, he had a body of flesh that could die and shed its blood. But he was unique in a class all by himself. That's why he is exalted above the heavens. He is superior to any of the Old Testament priests because his sacrifice on the cross, his once for all sacrifice on the cross, paved the way that man now could be reconciled back to God. I love the quote that comes from Oswald Chambers. How many of you read Oswald Chambers? Just enjoy, have enjoyed him over the years. I have too. It says, it is, a, it is shallow nonsense to say that God forgives, because, forgives us because He is love. It's shallow nonsense. And here's what He's saying. Yes, He is love. 
He's not discrediting that. But he's saying something more. He says the only ground upon which God can forgive us is in the cross. That's why he came. This is what the world doesn't seem to understand. They still think that he can forgive us because we do good things. We cannot do any good thing. There is no good thing that resides within our flesh. God forgives us on the basis of the cross, not on self-merit, not on anything that man could do. Jesus Christ is God's Son, who not only created this world, but came back into it in order to reconcile the creatures, the creation, mankind, back unto God through His sacrificial death on the cross. He is resurrected from the dead. He has ascended back into heaven as the first man ever to enter into heaven, representing us by His own blood. And chapter 1, verse 3, we started this book this way. And chapter 8, we're about to get into verse 1, says He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, that's right now. That's right now. While I'm preaching this message, Jesus Christ, if you want to know where He is, He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. His Spirit lives within believers, the Spirit of Christ, but He is seated at the right hand of the Father. In David's words in Psalm chapter 110 and verse 1, and it's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It is so significant when it says he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand of the Father is a place that's reserved only for his Son. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you like to go someplace and have a reserved ticket? Don't you like that? Isn't that awesome? Nobody else can sit in your seat. Nobody else can sit in your seat. It's reserved for you. Nobody else qualifies. Only you can sit in that seat. I was asking Jennifer uh, uh, Walters up here. One day I was up here on the platform and I was doing the announcements and we were telling everybody to greet. And so we all just kind of congregated. All of us were standing around. And she informed the whole group that she was, and her, I guess with her husband and her family or whatever, were going to see the Dallas Cowboy game in the new stadium. Now that's one thing. That's one thing. Okay. We confessed all of our envy. But she took it a step further. And she said, we have a reserved box that we're sitting in. It was hard to preach that morning. It was very difficult <laughs> to get over that. But she had a reserved place that they could go see. I remember one time going to a ball game here and the isotopes. And somebody said, Wayne, we want you to come. And I said, great. Where do I go? And they told me. And they had a box. And they had free food and Oh, it was wonderful. One of those nights that the whole church went, and we took buses, and I looked down on all the peons and said, hey, how are y'all doing? Yeah, I'm up here. I'll, I'll never go back. I don't want to ever go back and sit, <laughs> sit in one of those crazy seats anymore. It's, it's wonderful to have a reserved seat. The seat at the right hand of the Father was reserved only for His Son, and Jesus is seated in that seat right now. And Matthew and Caiaphas challenged Christ to tell them if he really were the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus answered him and said, you have said it yourself. You've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's more than just a high priest. He's more than just our king. He is the Son of 
of God, seated at the right hand of his Father. Now listen, representing you and representing me. He's the substance of all that the Old Testament law, the Old Testament priesthood, the Old Testament sacrifices, every bit of it shadowed. He is the substance of all that shadow. All of that, all of that pointed to the Lord Jesus. Now remember the context. Don't step out of the context. He's writing to Jewish believers, and the temple is still standing, and they're still going through all the ritual of the old when the new has come, fulfilled the old, and gone back to his reserved seat at the right hand of the Father. Now the author says in the first part of verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, now the main point in what has been said is this. Now, what has been said makes it look like he's talking only about chapter 7. But when it's actually, if you'll study it, it's in the present tense. It's what I'm saying, not just what I've just said. In other words, the phrase, now the main point of what has been said is this, should possibly read, now the main point of what I am saying is this, including what I've just said in chapter 7. You see, it gets better and better. Don't stop at chapter 7. He's building it. The priesthood is superior. The priest is superior. Woo-hoo! But there's so much more that he's about to say about our precious Lord Jesus. Verse 1 says, now the main point of what we have said is this, or what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. Now, what does he mean? A high priest that had to be. Remember verse 26 of chapter 7? It was fitting. It means it had to be. It couldn't come to the earthly priesthood. It had to come the way it came. It had to be a divine person. It had to be a God-man to come and to shed not only innocent blood, but perfect blood on the cross in order that we might be reconciled. It had to be. It had to be. And we have such a high priest. He says again, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And I just want to keep emphasizing something here. He's already taken his seat. We know that means the work is finished. But where? In heaven. The word heavens, plural or singular, refer to the same thing. He is seated in the heavens, which means there is a place called heaven. I have a lot of people that are so down. They think we just die and just cease to exist. Nihilism. And it just, it's amazing how some of this crazy mess gets started. He came out of heaven. He went back into heaven. And he's seated in the heavens, which proves without a shadow of a doubt there is a heaven, and a heaven where we will be with him one day. I, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the sweeter it gets to hear that. It seems like I have more on that side now than I have on this side. And you start looking forward to seeing them again. What hope do we have, Brother Wayne, of ever seeing these people again? If they're believers and they have died, they're with him in heaven. The moment they died, immediately into the presence of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is right there, right now, waiting on you and waiting on me. There is a place called heaven. I'll tell you what this does for me. It makes it just come alive, what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14. He says in verse 1 of John 14, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, or keep on believing in God. Keep on believing also in me, present tense. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. In other words, I have room for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. 
course, you have to love Thomas. He said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. Thomas, wake up. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you had known me, you'd have known my Father. Also, from now on, you know him and have seen him. So I'm saying to us this morning, and hopefully the Scripture is encouraging your heart, there is a place called heaven. You have a, a representative there. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day we will be with him forever in his presence. His priesthood is superior. He is superior. Now, in chapter 8, we're going to see the superior place that he ministers, and we're going to see the superior ministry that he renders. Let's look at that. He's doing something. He's not just sitting there. He's doing something as he's seated, and we need to understand that. First of all, the superior place where he ministers. Where does our high priest minister? Well, in verse 1 again, it says, who has taken his seat, the very part, last part of it, who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, you have to understand what he's saying here. The throne Christ now occupies and from where he, which he ministers is not David's throne. There are many people that believe that David will rule over the throne, over Israel, but I believe that Jesus will be that, that person who will sit on that throne. And one day he'll occupy it here on this earth as our promised Messiah. He said in Matthew 25, 31, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of his angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Now that's down here on this earth. But in verse 1, the author of Hebrews is pointing back, not to here, but to there, when he went back into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. The throne that he's sitting on right now is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. It will be a throne here when his kingdom is here on this earth. The responsibility, however, that the author of Hebrews wants to mention. Now, yes, he's king of kings. Yes, he's lord of lords. Don't ever take away from that. But the ministry that he has is the focus of the author of Hebrews. And so he's focusing upon him, not as a king in heaven, not as lord in heaven, although he is. He's ruler of all that he created, etc. But he wants to focus on his being a minister of the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle in verse 2. It says in verse 2, a minister, he's seated in verse 1, a minister in the sanctuary, verse 2, and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Now, the word sanctuary there has the idea of where he is, and, and you have to understand it not to be so much a building, but it's heaven. The sanctuary is heaven. He's back into heaven. The sanctuary is where God dwells. He's back where God dwells. He is God. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So he's in the sanctuary. But he says, and in the true tabernacle. Now, the word tabernacle basically is referring to the tent of meeting, which later on became a permanent style based right on and, and just simply copied from the first one. But he's referring back. These are Jews. They understand what we're talking about here. He was not appointed at that time to be a king in the earthly domain. When he went back into heaven, he's seated, but he's not had yet been appointed the king down here. He hasn't come back yet, but rather he was appointed, as the author of Hebrews wants to bring out, to function as a priest in a heavenly sanctuary. He is our high priest today representing us in a heavenly, holy sanctuary. 
all of his Jewish audience would understand everything that he's saying. Where it's difficult for you and I sometimes to grab the history and put it together, but every Jew he's talking to would understand. The author of Hebrews describes Jesus as a minister in the sanctuary, and he says, and in the true tabernacle. Now, the word for minister there is the word liturgos. Guess what word, guess what word we get out of that? Liturgy. But that, it, was a, it was a word, however, that was used specifically to describe the service of the priest who represented the people and how they would do that in the temple. Jesus Christ, our high priest, serves in the true tabernacle, in the true place where God dwells in heaven, to which the author adds, which the Lord pitched, not man. Now, what a contrast. Remember, at the same time, you've got a temple sitting down here on earth. And what he's saying is, do you remember Bezalel was the master craftsman in, in, in the Old Testament who made the beautiful articles of furniture for the tabernacle. The mercy seat and the golden lampstand were of gold and highly ornate. But like I say, all of these things were crafted by man. But in the temple that God is in, in the place where God is, it's not man-made. It's, it, it, the Holy Spirit directed Bezalel, but the Lord Jesus is in a place that man can't touch. Man has had nothing to do with it. God himself has created it. In verse 5, speaking of the earthly temple, which he's comparing here, which was standing at the time of the writing, he says of its priest. Here's what he says of its priest in the first part of verse 5. Who serve a copy. In other words, something that represents it. A type. And shadow. A shadow, you know what a shadow is. A shadow has to have a substance. And so anything that's on earth, anything that they were worshiping in, any building or tent that they would worship in had to point to something else. It was only a shadow. You can't have a shadow that you don't have a substance somewhere. And that's the idea of what he's talking about here, of the heavenly things. It's a shadow. It represents heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Now, once again, the term copy and shadow simply speak of the fact that the earthly tabernacle was just an imitation, just something that represented that which was truly in heaven. The earthly temple was built according to the pattern of the one that God directed that was in heaven. The earthly tabernacle gave proof of the fact that there was a real one. There's something that it speaks of. And, and I'm going somewhere with this, and, and I'm only a human being, and sometimes my words are frail to help you understand. But his point is that the Aaronic priest from Aaron, in the line of Aaron, were at the very moment, he was writing this, at the very moment going into the temple, at the very moment doing all the ritual with all the man-made things that were in that tabernacle, and it was only a shadow. It was only a shadow. They were missing what worship really was. They were missing the, the, the fact that this cannot reconcile me unto God. It was a type of a true tabernacle in heaven. Now Moses had given him instruction. Moses had given him a pattern that he was to follow. But be real careful here. And I don't want in any way to discolor anything you've ever believed and that kind of thing. But because God showed Moses the pattern, the word is tupon. And tupon simply means a type, something that represents something else. It doesn't necessarily mean 
And this is where I don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to throw you. It doesn't necessarily mean that there is a building in heaven where Jesus is in the Holy of Holies at the right hand of the Father that looks like the one down here on earth. It's not what he's saying. The heavenly true tabernacle, what he's pointing at is the the sanctuary. It's the true dwelling of God himself. It doesn't need to be thought of as a building that looks like a building down here. The pattern was given to Moses to build the tabernacle. Why was the tabernacle even put up? The tabernacle was to teach man of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. It was given, everything in it was given to help man understand how he approaches God. He can't go in himself. He has to have a representative. There had to be a sacrifice at the burnt, offer, burnt, burnt altar. They had to be a, or the brazen offer, the altar. They had to have a, a washing, the laver. They had to go into the holy place, and there's the candelabra, and there's the incense. All of this was a picture of the prayers and the light that Jesus is and and always will be. And then you had to go through the Holy of Holies, but only one man, one time a year, could go into that. What was this all about? It was to show man that God is holy and that man is sinful and that there has to be a representative. There has to be a mediator. The high priest was a mediator. Jesus is our mediator. He's already gone back into the presence of the Father. That's why we can come right into his presence the moment we bow in yieldedness to him. So it's a very difficult passage, and it's not one that you can fully exhaust all of its meaning. But the supreme place is what he's getting at where our Lord Jesus ministers. He's not just sitting there yawning. He's doing something. He's representing you and I. He is our high priest, which is the focus of the author. And and the the place that that he's ministering is a holy and it's a heavenly place. You and I could never get in there were it not for our high priest because of our sin. And that's the contrast that he's beginning to build there's a different one to represent us now than these earthly high priests. There's a, different, there's a different approach that we make unto God. There is hope. There is hope. Man can be reconciled to God because our high priest is not only supreme in his priesthood, not only supreme in his person, but he's supreme in the place where he ministers. The only man, the first man ever to go into heaven is there at the right hand of the Father, and he ministers to you and I. Secondly, the superior service that he renders. Now, this is the part I was telling you about. When I finish, you're going to say, oh, tell me more, and I'm going to say, to be continued. (laughs) Because it just builds, and if I even start into it too far, it's going to frustrate. But let's let's get up to it. Way back in chapter 5, we saw that how each priest had the responsibility of serving by offering both gifts and sacrifices. Most people believe the gifts were the, were the grain offerings, etc., and the sacrifices were that which were offered for sin. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, the author repeats this almost verbatim in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 8. He's going right back to it. Now remember, Jesus is the ruler of the universe, the creator of the universe. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. But that's not the emphasis he's placing on this. He's emphasizing his high priesthood in representing us as the God-man in heaven. And he says in verse 3, for every high priest, and notice how he continues to say high priest, because that is the title of our Lord Jesus, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So, 
it is necessary that this priest, speaking of Jesus, also has something to offer. By the way, you think he might have something to offer this morning? Now, if you were on earth, now remember, he's going back and forth with these Jewish believers that are threatening to defect and go back to Judaism. And so he says in verse 4, now if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. In other words, he's not of the right tribe. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's not of the tribe of Levi. He's not of the line of Aaron. He's of the line of David, a kingly line. So if he was down here, he wouldn't be a priest at all. But he's not down here. Because these priests on earth, that they were about to go back and entertain themselves with, with, with the fact that these offerings were actually doing something, were weak and useless. Look at, look at verse 11 in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Chapter 10 and verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. You see the ineffectiveness of what's going on down here. If it's going to be effective, it better be up there. Because anybody down here, you see, didn't qualify. They, were earth, they died to show their weakness. They died. And, and so he's trying to compare the two. The Lord Jesus gave his sacrifice once for all, and he lives forever. And his ministry to us is eternal. As we've seen, he's not on earth. He's in heaven, the true tabernacle. And that's interesting. Again, to me, that the temple was still standing while he's writing this. <laughs> I just get this picture, and he's trying to say, hey, guys, wake up. You're going to go back to Judaism? My goodness, don't you realize while you're, they're offering those sacrifices over and over and over and over, and they never do anything. But he said the Lord Jesus has, is already ministering in heaven. Now, which one would you rather have? You want the priest down here? You want the priest who's in heaven representing you and who has already offered sacrifice for you. Jesus' ministry as high priest is superior because unlike the sacrifices that were being offered, it's effective because it presents a way, it provides a way for us to be reconciled to God. Again, in verse 3, he says that this high priest also has something to offer. Now, what he does here, you have to understand Hebrews, he doesn't go into what perhaps you or I would go into and goes back and go back to the cross. He doesn't go back and show that it was a one-time sacrifice, that he resurrected from the dead, he ascended, was glorified. He doesn't go there. In fact, he's going to pick it up in chapter 9 and, and give much more specifics about it. But he's on a fast track. He's going somewhere with all this. It's almost like you're trying to tell your, your child something and and you have a whole lot of commentary you could add, but you just don't, you skip over it because you're on a fast track to say something else. He's building towards the covenant of grace that's built on better promises, which only, only a priest like this, Jesus Christ, it had to be, it was fitting. We have such a high priest. Remember those statements. Only Jesus could have inaugurated that we live by down here on this earth. It's totally and radically different from the covenant of law. The covenant of law was temporary. The Ten Commandments, nobody could live all of them. And Paul said in one of his writings, if you're going to mess up in one, you've messed up in all ten of them. And nobody could do that. Only one man did it, and that's the Lord Jesus. Fulfilled it, dotted every I, crossed every T, then paid the price of those of us who couldn't, went back into heaven, and now offers us a brand new way. He offers us the message of grace 
by faith alone in Christ alone, you can be reconciled back to God. There can be peace with God. He's a high priest who keeps that priest. He's a mediator who keeps that priest and sustains that peace and sustains that peace. Whereas the earthly priest had to be of the tribe of Aaron, of a Levi and the line of Aaron, all of that's past. He's already in heaven when he's writing this, and he's trying to tell them, don't go back there because you have something so much better in our Lord Jesus. Christ qualifies in heaven, whereas the earthly priest had to qualify down here according to the law. He qualifies in heaven where the greater ministry takes place because he's the son, the God-man. In verse 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. But what is this service that he offers? What is it that he does? And he comes, he starts in in verse 6. And I get so excited about it, I can't hardly stand it. I can't wait to get into verse 6, but I can't today. It says this, but now he, Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry, far greater than any priest who ever represented man down here. He says, by as much as he is also the mediator, the one who stands between and brings peace, of a better covenant. Now listen to this, which has been enacted on better promises. And I want to submit to you this morning that the problem of Christianity that I've run into in the 21st century is we do not understand the covenant that we're in because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand it. And that's what's coming in chapter 8. Well, come on, Wayne, tell me more, tell me more. What's a covenant? What's a covenant? What does it mean to be in covenant? To be continued. You don't want to miss next week because that's finally. We've done the spade work. We've, we've crowded through the hard truths. We, we've tried to lay the groundwork. Now it's about to open up of what it means to live in the new covenant. I want to ask you a question this morning. Does everybody in here, now don't raise your hand. Do you know because you know because you know that you're a believer today? Do you really know? Do you really know? We've been talking about Jesus. He's my Jesus. Is he your Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? I want you to hear it from somebody who could say it a lot better than I've ever thought about saying it. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 